0: Welcome again to the Tabernacle. I'm John, I'm one of the pastors, and we're so glad uh, that you've chosen to worship with us this weekend here in Buckley, also in Manistee, or even if you're not uh, worshiping live with us, if you're watching or listening on a tape delay or from home, uh, we're glad that you've chosen to make uh, this a priority. And for those of us that this church is our church, thank you for making this church your church Just a quick word before we get uh, going, Um, I want to make it clear that uh, this space, if, if we haven't already made it clear, this space is here and in Manistee, for those that want to wear a mask, you are perfectly okay wearing a mask. Uh, There's a reason we've asked our volunteers to continue to wear masks. Uh, That's to promote the safety as they're seeing multiple groups come in and out at both locations. But we don't want to give you the impression that just because a lot of people don't, that if you do, people are going to look at you funny. Uh, The good news is if they look at you funny, you have a mask on, and so they don't know it's you, right? So, yeah. Yeah. So we're in our series um, in 1 Samuel, and uh, one more word before we get going. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 8. If you have a Bible or uh, you have the Bible on a device, if you want to go ahead and get it open and get it ready, hopefully many of you have been able to read ahead. I want to point something out that I'm asked frequently. I just want to answer it um, for everyone. This, This weekend in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the title of the message is Give Us a King. Give Us a King. Now, if you're paying attention to the news, you know that in just a couple days, we're going to elect a king, right? Or at least we're going to elect a president. And typically what I'm asked is, oh, did you plan this? And I can honestly say that although I knew this was coming, I didn't realize that the exact weekend before election day would be the title of the message, Give Us a King, So it just, as it so happens when we preach through a book of the Bible, it happens that way. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, I'm going to do my best not to be political, so we'll give you a break from that. But I also want to assure you that this time next week, uh, at least all the ads will have stopped, right? Uh, The ads, the, the millions of dollars that's spent by both parties to get your vote is unbelievable. And, you know, I'd like to think if we just took all that money and and attached them to all the problems, maybe this place would be perfect. But I know money doesn't solve it all, and that's wishful thinking. So give us a king. If you have that Bible open, we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 8. We'll read you the story. We'll take a couple breaks throughout because there's some observations that I think are good for us thousands of years ago, and they're good for us in 2020. You'll find this is very timely, I believe, to right where all of us live. Verse 1, it says, When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain." They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old. I like that. They're just pointing out the obvious. Behold, you're old. Uh, That made me giggle, all right? Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So we'll pause right there and put a little context to it. Remember, these are God's people and these people have a king, namely God himself. God had led them out of captivity. He was faithful to his promises to their forefathers. He had been among them, their people, guiding them uh, with with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He had provided for them. Even when they were faithless and chased after other gods coming into the promised land, he always raised up leaders in the form of judges, not kings. There's a difference. And if they were faithful to him, worshiping him and him alone and not worshiping other idols, they had his leadership, they had his provision, they had his protection. He let them learn their lessons when they chased after other gods, then they would face the consequences. But he would always raise up a judge, a judge like Gideon, a judge like Samson or Deborah, a judge like Samuel to lead them back. And where we left the story last weekend was they'd just learned the lesson again. They had repented of their idols, all these foreign gods. They'd repented of of worshiping and serving other gods. They'd come back to the Lord. They'd repented, and God had showed up and had thundered against their enemies. And now we assume that time has passed again, and they are worried about the succession plan. And the succession plan begins the way most succession plans should begin, right? You're old. You're old. You're not going to be here forever, bro. Now appoint for us a king. Now there was another situation, and I don't want to talk about that really that much this weekend because we would only be speculating, but it says that Samuel had appointed his sons as judges. Now, they're not at the same level as Samuel is in their authority, but uh, he, he trusted some form of leadership to his sons. But his sons, they're on the take. They're accepting bribes. They're perverting justice. They're not right under his care. And, and if you remember, just a few weeks ago, we, we preached a message where we were talking about the fact that God has no grandchildren. The fact that you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, the the, the fact that you're a worshiper of God and God alone, there's no guarantees for your children, and there's no guarantee for your children's children. We all have to come to God the same way. We bow the knee, we surrender our lives, we ask Christ to be Lord of it. God has children, but he has no grandchildren. We don't get in the family because mom is faithful. We don't get in the family of God because dad is faithful or because we grew up in it. And then we kind of graduate out of it. And it's the same thing with Samuel. His sons did not walk in his ways. And so they say, you're old, your sons are on the take, give us a king. And as I read, this doesn't make Samuel very happy. And he does what a godly man should do when he's displeased. He goes directly to God. And he says, what do I do? These people want a king. This has displeased me. And God says something interesting. He says, in response, obey the voice of the people. They have not rejected you. They've rejected me. Now, that's interesting because... If you know your Bible history, and even if you don't, I'm going to tell you, we knew that a king was going to be coming. When God first spoke to Father Abraham, right, the father of this nation, he said kings would come from your lineage. When Moses had given them the law, there there was included in all of the subordinances underneath the Ten Commandments, provision for a king and what a king could and couldn't do. So, I want to make clear, it wasn't a bad thing that they wanted a king as their leader. It's their motive that was bad. It's their motive that was bad. And it's in the fine print, but as we say at the tabernacle, words matter and there's no wasted words. And this is how we learn it says, appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. We want a king like they have a king. We want someone physical that we can see, that we can idolize, that we can put all of our hopes and dreams and blame on. Sound familiar? Give us a king. Philistines have a king. Amorites have a king. All these enemies of ours, they all have kings and they're very impressive. They come in with all of their trappings and their monarchy and their splendor and servants and their armies. We want a king, why don't we have a king? The irony is they had a king. They had the king of kings. But now they're saying to Samuel and to God, we don't want his authority. We don't want to be unique Essentially, they're saying, we don't want to be God's people. We want to be like everyone else. They wanted to conform. And that's a big deal. Wanting to conform. You see, essentially, and, and we'll see, we see it here and we'll see it in the rest of the passage. There's, there's three questions that the Israelites really are facing. And it's the same questions that we face as well. And here's the first one in black and white for me, either conform to the world or conform to God. That's what they were faced with. They could either conform to the world's way of governing, the world's way of existing, the world's image, the world's values, the world's expectations, or they could continue to conform to God. And they didn't want to conform to God. They wanted to conform to the world. Give us a king like everyone else has a king. We don't have a king. We want a king. And it's the same question for us. It doesn't matter if you're a little kid, if you're an old kid, if you're a married kid, divorced kid. This pressure to conform is real, isn't it? There's a pressure, a constant pressure. Am I gonna be the way God wants me to be, or am I gonna be the way the world wants me to be? Am I gonna fit in with God, or am I gonna fit in with these people? Am I going to fit in with God's culture or am I going to be rushed along by the culture that's around me? Friends, this is not just an issue for little kids. You know, when you send your kids off to school and you're like, remember, you know, uh, don't do anything that wouldn't make your daddy proud or remember the family that you're from or remember the school, you know, it, it isn't just for kids because the thing is with kids is we grow up and we just get more wrinkly. We get more wrinkly and the stakes get higher. And man, I tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor, but I, I mean, I'm a man first. Pastor's my job. I'm a man and the world is so attractive. The things that they have, the stuff that seems to bring joy and happiness to them, man, sometimes I just wish I could have those things. This pressure to conform, the pressure to fit in, is a powerful, powerful force, and not fitting in, you pay a horrible price. You pay a horrible price. So, I've said before, one of the greatest things about preaching is I get to have therapy right here. <laughs> this past summer, uh, our family, we were driving um, downstate. In fact, we were in Indiana, and we were coming back through. We took an alternate route. I can't remember why. Construction's not important, but. We found ourselves getting gas in northern Indiana in a town called Plymouth. Now, Plymouth is 20 minutes south of South Bend, and Plymouth is a big deal in my life because it was the first American city that I can really remember and have a lot of memories associated with living in. So I came home with my family from the mission field, having spent most of my years in Port au Prince, Haiti, until I was going into ninth grade. Which is already a horrible year, right? Along with seventh and eighth and tenth for that matter. Sorry, that's too much therapy. So it's ninth grade. You're already with a bunch of students going from junior high to senior high. And Plymouth High School was a big high school. It was a big high school. There was over a thousand students in that high school. I know some of you maybe have gone to schools a lot bigger than that, but some of you maybe came from classes that were less than twenty. Well, this for me it was a big deal. I'm in a new country. There's new values. There's a new lingo. There's a new group of friends. All of my friends, I mean, I was the stuff back in Haiti, but here nobody knew me and nobody cared. And so we're driving through Plymouth, and I was like, oh, I just want to drive by the old high school, you know, and see what has changed, you know? They got a new athletic field here, a new thing there. Oh, there's a new sign they've put an addition on and all this stuff. And I made a left turn and I found myself, you know, the kids are, you know, all devices. They're like, what's this place? What's this dump? I'm like, hey, be careful, man. Go Pilgrims. <laughs> We're the Plymouth Pilgrims, right? But I found myself pointing out there used to be a tiny little Phillips gas station right there with one pump, you could, and they had some snacks and sodas in there. And, uh, and I said to my wife, I said, I remember that place because my freshman year, we had open lunch, and every day I would walk a quarter of a mile to that gas station, and I'd buy a little snack and a soda, and I did that my entire freshman year. And someone's like, oh, who'd you roll down there with? I said, no one. I went there alone every school day. (laughs) Told you this was therapy. And I haven't thought about that in 30 years. I forgot that. And all of these emotions just came over me like a wave. And one of my daughters, I think it was Gabby, Daddy, why did you do that? And I said, because I didn't wanna go in the lunchroom. I didn't know anybody. I didn't fit in. It wasn't welcoming. And there was a whole bunch of issues. I mean, I didn't spend that, my next four years of high school that way. I conquered that place. <laughs> but I also paid a heavy price over the next three years to conform, to fit in, to learn about trucks and corn and Indiana and Levi's 501 button flies and girlfriends with, you know, bouffant hairdos with the bangs pushed. You know what I'm saying? Sorry, it was the 80s. Go there with me. I'm not sharing that to say, oh, poor John. No, I'm saying the pressure to conform. It doesn't change from ninth grade to being 50. There is a pressure to fit in with the lifestyle, with the values. That's what we're fighting about in every election cycle. And we pay a very high price if we don't. The Israelites were faced, do we conform to the world, give us a king, or are we to conform to the way that God wants to govern us? It says in 1 Peter that those of us that are Christians, we are strangers and we are aliens in this world. Have you ever thought about that? That's who we're called to be at least. But I wonder how many times people outside the church see no, or they don't see any difference between those outside or inside the church. How we spend our time, how we spend our money, what we value the most, how we talk, how we do business deals, right? I was just listening to a friend this week talking about uh, another dude in the same line of work that he is. And he's like, man, that guy, that, that's shady what he's doing. And I know that guy's a Christian. Do we conform to the world or conform to God? It says in uh, Romans chapter 12, one of my favorite passages to quote, Romans 12 verses one and two. Paul says, he goes, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. The reason this displeased Samuel is because they wanted to be like the world. And it's the same desire many of us wrestle with all the time. Will I conform to the world or conform to God? Back to the story. Verse 10 says, so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. Remember, God said, okay, we're gonna give him a king, give him what they want, but I want you to warn them what this means. So he goes, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. will not answer you in that day. Now this is stark, and I I don't know if you caught the emphasis there of, of what he was saying. Okay, fine, you want a king? You're gonna get a king, but here's the warning that comes with the king. He's gonna take, 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 he's gonna take. Six times he says, he's gonna be a taker. He's gonna take from you. He'll take your sons. He'll take your daughters. He'll take your best. He'll take your servants. He'll take your livestock. He's going to take a tenth of everything. You will be his. Slaves. You know, last weekend, I had several people say, "Man, you were getting real passionate when you were talking about how we need to repent of of the idol worship that we make of presidents and governors and congressmen and, and and political situations." And it was kind of a mic drop when you know the whole thing was, "Listen, it doesn't matter what happens next week in the election or who is sworn in in January because God is still on His throne. Jesus is still the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords." Right. This is why it isn't so it's like, you know, Jesus is bowed up and being Mr. Macho. It's because Jesus is king and earthly kings, no matter how good of a king you think he or she's going to be, I guess I would make her a queen. Sinful people are takers, all of them. God is a giver. God is a giver. Now, I know some of us might say, well, yeah, well, then why do we take an offering? And eh, we're thinking small right now. There's a difference. You can outgive an earthly government with your taxes, your sons, your daughters, your servants, your livestock, your grain, you name it. You can outgive the local government and the state and the national. You can. That's why we are so passionate about politics. You know who you can't outgive? God. When we give to God, it's a pittance in comparison to what he's given us. Essentially, what Samuel is saying is this earthly king that you want. Here's the second question that we're faced with. Will I serve the world or will I serve God? Am I going to serve the world? If you want to conform to the world, you will serve the world. In the words of the great Bob Dylan, you got to serve somebody. And you will, that which you make your God, that which is your highest value, that is what you will serve with your time, with your energy, with your treasure, your talent, everything that you are. And I could go back to the Plymouth High School days to say, oh man, that was a long year walking alone at lunchtime, so desperate to fit in and to conform, and I didn't, but I paid the price the next three years. I did whatever it took to conform, to fit in. And it wasn't until I got to college that I realized man, I was serving the wrong master. I was serving the gods of image, the gods of stuff, the gods of accomplishment, the gods of reputation, the idols that we make in order to look good and be the homecoming court person. Oh, I paid that price. I paid that price. Essentially, he's saying, oh, yeah, you, you'll get a king, but he's going he's gonna to take. He's going to take. You see, the world is all about self. Have you noticed that? And again, I keep using politics because it's so easy. It's like a low-hanging fruit. They get up there, and everyone promises us everything, this is what I'm gonna give you. This is what I'm gonna give your family. This is what you're gonna have for your kids. This is are gonna have for your health care. This is gonna have your, for your safety. All of this stuff, none of them can come through. None of them can come through to the extent that we'd like to think that they could come through or that they'd like to think that they can come through. Only God can promise some of the things that they're promising. Either candidate or candidates on either side, if they could promise everything that they said that they promised us none of us would ever die or have a bad day the only thing they haven't said is is that they can control the weather but you know what they're trying to do it now aren't they you know what we're gonna reduce emissions and we're gonna save the planet and save the world I still believe God will come for his earth in his own good time but that's the question are we going to serve the world are we going to serve God Jesus the very words of Jesus the king of kings in Matthew chapter 20 remember what he said when he came they were talking about his kingship and he said the son of man referring to himself did not come to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many this is the difference between serving the world or serving God when you serve God, yeah, you may give your offering. Yeah, you may serve in a ministry. Yeah, you may it may cost you to serve God, but you'll never ever ever outgive God. What we receive in return, in peace, in joy, in life everlasting, in forgiveness of my past, my present and my future. How do you outgive that? Trump can't do that. Biden can't do that, but Christ can, Christ can. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And we think about the images of the way he taught us, the way he healed when he was on this earth, where before going to the cross, the King of Kings gets on his knees and he washes their feet. He still does that for us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? This is the servant king. So we see Samuel, he warns them. Verse 19, the chapter ends this way. It says, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Hadn't God done that already for them? Didn't he go before them? Didn't he fight their battle? In chapter seven, he fought their battle with, with just thunder. Verse 21, and when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. I, I, I kind of like that. They're having this big showdown. You're old, your sons are corrupt, give us a king. No, you don't want a king. Yes, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. God, they want a king. This is bad. They haven't rejected you. They have rejected me. Tell them, warn, warn them. He's gonna take, 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 six different takes. And then he goes, Fine they refuse to obey his voice and like petulant children they go we shall have a king we're going to get what we want give us a king someone that will fight our battle so we can be like everybody else Here's here's the interesting thing they're demanding from God who's already their king that he give them a king it's almost like they know that they can't have a king unless God says so And so they're asking the king to give them another king. It's like they want a layer of middle management. But isn't that what we do? It's like, no, this is too much. This is too much light. This is too much. I can't take just answering straight to this God. You know, you pray for me. You do the reading for me. Somebody that we can relate to. We need middle management. We demand it. And so the king decides to give them a king. But even then, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's theology geeking me, but I love what it says in verse 22. The Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. So Samuel says to the men of Israel, all right, fine, go home. Wait, wait, where's our king? We'll give you a king when we're good and ready. Who's still in control of the whole thing? And they don't see it. They don't see it. They wanna to conform to the world even though what God has is better. They're going to end up serving the world, even though serving God, who's a giver, is better. And this refusal to obey, they refuse to obey. You ever had a kid just refuses to obey? Yeah. We could open up a whole conversation about discipline. Problem with kids these days, I won't finish that, but... They refuse to obey. Essentially, in refusing to obey, they're refusing to worship. They're refusing to worship. You see, worship isn't just something that we do when we gather on a weekend. Yeah, we gather for worship. We gather for corporate worship. But we're always worshiping. And when we choose to obey God, we're worshiping God. And we we choose to disobey God, we're worshiping idols. This is why the Old Testament has everything to do with today. Same people, they haven't changed in thousands of years. And this God that never changes, He's trying to transform us by renewing our minds and show us these questions. It's not just conform to the world or conform to God, serve the world or serve God. In this part, what I wrote down is we can worship the world or choose to worship God. Those are our options. We can worship the world, try to be like the world, dress like the world, sound like the world, fit in like the world, value what the world values, spend our time the way the world spends their time. And like I said at the beginning, it's not just for our kids. The same pressure in a ninth grade lunchroom is the same pressure on a salesman. The same pressure on a salesman is the same pressure in a PTO meeting it's the same pressure on facebook and twitter and instaface or whatever the kids are on now tiktok isn't it interesting there's a, there's a, there's a whole group of people whose job is called influencer right And I don't, there was one of these people, and when all the kids were home recently, you know, they were all looking at their devices, and one of my daughters was like, Oh, look at this, can you believe that? And da da da, and she's this, and you know, and I was like, What's that girl's job? She doesn't have a job. You know what she does? She takes selfies and gets paid a ton of money to influence your daughters and my daughters and everyone else into feeling really, really bad about themselves because they don't have the same kind of duck lips. How shallow are we, people, that we pay human beings to do nothing but take pictures of themselves? Right? And when I'm desperate to conform, then I serve. And when I conform and I serve, I become a worshiper. And a worshiper of the world is useless for God because we make unbelievable sacrifices. Parents make unbelievable sacrifices to turn our children into images of the world. Instead of our children being strangers and aliens in this world, as Peter said we are, we want them to fit in. And I'm not just talking about with our style and our fashion. I was just reading a news article this week about families in the Northeast. And I don't want to rip on families in the Northeast because we could translate the same thing to the Midwest or the West or anywhere else. But they're spending tens of thousands of dollars for their kids to be really, really good at obscure sports that nobody plays. No normal people at least, right? Like fencing. Because you never know when there's gonna be a duel and you need a sword. But if you spend tens of thousands of dollars in the Northeast so your kid gets good at fencing, maybe he can go to an Ivy League school. And, 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 the, and the thing in here was COVID has ruined the fencing season and now my kid might have to go to Ohio State. Well, for some of you, that is sad, but. <laughs> Your kid gets to go to college, man. And whether it's high or lacrosse or tiddlywinks, we work hard to conform and to serve. What does it say in Romans 12? We're called to obey God, which means offering our bodies as living sacrifices, the same way Jesus offered his body as a sacrifice for us. We get to do that in response. The problem is, is, I don't know about you, but for me, I keep crawling up on the altar and this living sacrifice keeps crawling off. But those are the questions we're faced with. Who will you conform to? Who will you serve? Who is it that you're desperate to be like? What is it that you think is going to bring you happiness and joy? If it's anything other than God, it's going to let you down. So we can choose to worship the world or we can choose to worship God. And I'll tell you, one of those will never let you down. One of those cannot be lost, cannot be killed, cannot be destroyed. Jesus conquered Satan's sin and death through his resurrection. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God after his ascension. He reigns today and one day he's coming back for his people and his people are those who didn't conform. They chose to not bow the knee in the everyday ways that we live our lives. That chose to, yeah, I'll take the long walk to the convenience store because this lunchroom, I'm not going to conform. Those that chose to serve him rather than the world. Those who chose to be worshipers of the only true God. You know, I, I, I was moved this summer when the, when, the, when the riots really popped off. And that was so hard. And this is not political. Don't make your little political judgments about this. But there was a lot of pressure with the race riots and the, and the protests and people marching and, and cities in the United States were on fire. It was like the 60s again, right? And one of my kids showed me this one image of Atlanta, Georgia, and, and we've said it before, we'll say it again, racism, one of the worst kinds of sins because your race is sacred, right? You don't choose your race. The same way life is sacred and sexuality and gender are sacred, your race is sacred. So racism is an abomination unto God, right? And these people are marching and, and there's all this pressure, right? There's all this pressure to not be called a racist. No one wants to be called a racist, and, and one of the hardest things is is how do you sometimes disagree with parts of you know someone 's political statement because in our country they 'll call you a racist or a fascist or a Nazi or horrible things right and so there was this one video that, that my kids were showing me on YouTube, and it was a, it was a hot Atlanta day, and the protests and people were taking a knee in solidarity. Maybe you saw this. did you see this one? there was a There was a Georgia state trooper, big black guy, got the shades on, looked fierce. I do not want to get stopped by that guy. I am getting a ticket just because I'm going to be an all, right? And the protesters are coming by. He is a black man. His name was O'Neill Sadler. And if you saw the same clip that I did, they said to him in this volatile, hot environment as everyone's taking a knee you gonna take a knee with us and he said no ma'am and in his explanation he said I only kneel for one man and then someone in the crowd goes Jesus Christ and he goes "Ah, that's right move along Think about the pressure on that guy to take a knee. You're an African American. These are your people. Take a knee with us. I take a knee for no man. Except my Lord and Savior. That was powerful for me. But it shouldn't have been. Because as I am a Christian... As you are a Christian, as we call ourselves Christians, we kneel for none but King Jesus. He's the one we conform to. He's the one we serve. He's the one we worship. Not man's institutions, not value, not TikTok. Yeah. So that's first Samuel eight. Let's pray. Lord, the pressure in this fallen world is so great to be like, fit in, blend in, conform. God, we need your help as men, as women, as students, children, people who call on your name to live as strangers and aliens. God, you know the price that we pay for not conforming, for fighting the desire to be like the world. God, we need your grace, we need your wisdom, we need your strength to be salt and light, but to be decidedly different. Thank you that you're a good king that always outgives. Would you help us to trust you with that? And it's in the King of Kings name, Jesus the Christ, that we pray. Amen.